Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi everybody, this is Vanessa. And this is Asabi. And together we are... Wine and Sympathy! Yes! Oh Hi, Don. Hi, how are you? Oh, I'm actually pooped. Are you? I feel like I haven't seen you. Yeah. And you live like across the, the hall? hallway. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I've been very, very busy, not only uh, having a day job uh, as a beauty therapist, but... I've uh, been doing some mentoring for people in the acting industry and just learning what it's like to, to be on set. And I've also been in a production of Red, a play, the short and sweet festival that was on in June yes. in Brisbane. Yeah. Uh, it's actually on through the rest of the year. See, so there's Strand 1, Strand 2, and then up, I think up until August, there's a, even a gala event. There's a gala event in August. Gala. That's right. So the top two from each strand then go into the gala event to perform, and then yeah. awards, 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 awards. It was just super stuff. fun to do something again. I mean, you've been my inspiration because you've Aww. been such a uh, performer this whole year, even end of last year. Yeah, it's uh, been crazy. It's been epic. <laughs> so I'm so glad I auditioned. I'm so glad I, you pushed me to do it, yes. and I did it. And I'm yes. so glad I was on stage again because it, it was soul liberating and it was amazing to watch you on stage <laughs> and people seriously this woman is just a joy and amazing talent just lovely oh stop it but yeah. go on <laughs> anywho no <laughs> so what about you Del? what have you been up to oh nothing <laughs> i'm not doing anything um just that sounds like we're <laughs> drunk already we haven't even poured the wine yet no that's right. Uh, just, you know, gigs and gigs and more gigs and, yeah, just a lot of gigging, lots of singing. I've just, you know, and, and if you're interested in checking out some of my singing, you can go to my YouTube channel. Just put in Asabi Goodman and something will pop up. On the, <laughs> on the old YouTube. On the old YouTube. That's right. No, just say it in. So anyway, who have we got today? Oh, I'm really excited for this guest. Uh, I've worked with Peter on Jiva and... Um, when I first came back to Australia, I, I actually met him through Facebook and I got his books signed for me. And we've had a good friendship for the past six, seven years. And who is Peter? Peter Kavari is, is the award-winning screenwriter, producer, director and casting director of GP2 Entertainment, which is based here in Brisbane, Queensland. Peter is known for his literature and also his films. He has a well-received fantasy series of novels, which is called, now I always get this wrong, but I, I think I'm right, Legends of Marithia. Yes. It's, it's a vampire. It's so My good. My mate was in it. Yes. Yeah. Well, that was a short for it. It was really good. Mm. Um, he is known for his short films and his wonderful productions. Check him out, of course, on GP2 Entertainment Facebook. You can see films like Mother's Day, Ring Around the Rosie, Blood, Blood Bond, and also a featurette screenplay, Dusted Dreams. Most of these have actually won many awards. They've also screened worldwide, and most recently in a festival at Marina Del Rey in Los Angeles. Peter creates with passion and just intensity in everything that he does. 
The list of his recent shorts, once I said uh, before, can be found on Facebook. And you'll see a lot of his recent stuff, three in particular, and Lucky Devil, that's coming out. They'll be worldwide. So Peter is also the festival director for the AFIN International Film Festival. AFIN. Peter. AFIN, Australian Hello. Film Industry... What is that? What is AFI? Yeah. <laughs> what does AFIN stand for? Um, it actually stands for All Inclusive Film Industry Network. Um, it's funny because uh, we changed the name a few times as it evolved. It started as like Australian Film Industry Night uh, when I first began it as like a local festival, and then it grew into an A class international, and then you know it needed to be rethought because the scope and the goals of the festival changed. Right. So, what year are you into now? We are on the fourth year as we speak, which means we are we should be IMDb qualifying at the end of this year, which is awesome. That's amazing. And so now, what does it mean to be IMDb qualifying? Like for our listeners, explain what IMDb is. <laughs> okay. Well, I think like I'm guessing everyone who listens probably knows IMDb, um, but it basically means for for an event. Uh, I hope so. Anyway. If, if they don't, they should, and they should look it up. Um, in terms of what it means for a festival, uh, so for you to be able to list your awards, let's say you win Best Actress, right? Um, for our event, we have to be listed officially on their events list. And to do that, you have to pass some qualification. Um, we pass everything except for the amount of time that we've been running. So we uh, have to be running apparently for five years or until our fifth year to be listed. Um, although, mind you, we're, we're literally, uh, I think we're ranked 72 in the world right now out of 10,000 festivals, so we're in the wow. top 100. That's but, amazing. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been hard work, but, um, you know, like just literally staying on, growing it on vision. Um, yeah, basically, at the end of the year, people should be able to list their awards on there, but we'll, we'll help them out and do it for them. Fantastic. I'm sure Sabi and I are going to come to this year, for yeah. sure. <laughs> Definitely. Sounds good to me. Now tell me, um, Peter, you've always had very diverse casts um, in all of your productions, your shorts, uh, your even your writing. Is this something that you're really intensely focused on? Uh, yeah. Sorry, because we do have, unfortunately, a little bit of a poor line, so sometimes um, I struggle to hear the question. I don't oh. know why that is, but... Uh, Maybe the microphone's a little further away from you guys or something. But, Sorry, um, darling. I'll try again. Are you again. asking around short films? Or, yes, please do. I'll try it again. So your casts are always very diverse. Is this something that you're focused on? Oh, now that's a very good question. Um, yeah, well, look, it's interesting because um, I, like my last film, which is doing the rounds in festivals right now, three, like spent a year in post-production, but it's a heavily female cast. Um, what we do, like in terms of when I write, and I create stories, I try to make them as open for uh, diversified characters as possible. It, it's a tough one because as a casting director, like I, I really do encourage um, people of all backgrounds and I do a lot of like unisex roles as well um, to apply. Um, and everyone's welcome. And, you know, it just, it comes down to the best person for the role. Um, and like whoever has performed the best, you know, um, brought truth to the character um, and done the best audition will will win it. Um, but in terms of like what we focus on, we focus on telling the best possible stories we can. Um, and you know, obviously trying to trying to put Australia pretty firmly on the map from our independent point of view. 
Um, which at the moment, I think three in the first couple of weeks um, got picked up by um, a good number of festivals that won awards already. It's been like, it's been really blowing my mind away uh, because I wasn't expecting such a quick response. Um, in the US, Europe and Australia so far have, have picked it up, which is great. Um, and that one's, uh, yeah, heavily female focused. Uh, I really don't like cliched characters. So um, none, of, none of my women in my, my stories are weak or um, you know, needing a man to save them. That's the best I can put it. You know, it's literally like they are real badass, you know, criminals in a um, in a virtual world, and uh, you know, it's uh, it's cool to see that come together. Uh, I can't wait to see it. Um, so, what do you think has always drawn you to the supernatural or the sci-fi element in your productions? Oh, right. Yes. Why do I focus on it? Um, well, it's interesting because like every writer and creator has um, has genres they kind of drawn to. But it's funny because if you asked me like a year ago, I'd give you a different answer to what I do today because I've, I've retired to write and direct a dramedy of all things um, recently, which is Lessons, and that's currently going to Festival Circuit. And I loved it. You know, I think like storytellers aren't really defined by the genre. They're defined by, I guess, the story they're telling within a genre. Um, but for me, I've always loved something that's greater than life. Like it's... Um, one of those things where you know you watch a film to escape. You, you, you don't want to be reminded about um, you know the world and the pandemic or um, you know all of the things going on that we're stressed about for a day-to-day basis. You want to be taken away. I think um, sci-fi, fantasy, action, those kind of films really do. They give you that escapism. And how many productions have you done all up? Oh, um, <laughs> it's interesting because like from <laughs> from day dot, it's a very big question because I've literally got some um, that are are still in pre-production right now that are not on my IMDb. Mm. So, like, at the moment, I'm about to step into a cyberpunk film, um, which has been in pre-production for quite a while. We had COVID impacts. I've done a few films since then. We did ones prior, all in various stages and various, you know, um, like, various statuses of success um, for the past. And ever since three, you know, I, I, I took a heavy rain um, over my, my company and over uh, the direction and vision of the film. So it's been a, a bit of a, a bit of a milestone shift, but I'd probably say from top of my head, I mean, I'm looking at 10 to 12 projects, um, like all up that I could, I could name, but, um, you know, there's, there's more in the works at the moment, which I can't really talk about until things are, you know, done and dusted on contract. So you just gotta, you gotta keep pushing, you know, because you, you never know, you know, it's a, it's a long journey. There's a lot to do and a lot to learn. Mm, definitely. What's your favorite production so far? Oh no, that's a terrible question. Come on, that makes you like say this is better than every single one. Um, that's really hard because honestly, like I get excited stepping into every project that I do, and then I come out of it, you know, with learning things that I love about it. Um, so it's kind of like saying who's your favorite child. Um, I, I I couldn't really answer that. I, I would tell you for different reasons. Um. So in terms of like direction so far, I've I, I really enjoyed my time on three. Um, I've done a few films since then, but that was like my directorial debut. Um, so stepping into that with full planning, um, you know, the amount of action in it, um, the ladies were amazing. Like the whole casting crew was sensational. And it was a really good like proving ground, I guess, um, to start from. Um, but yeah, for different reasons, you know, like Quantum Ride is, uh, is my massive nod to cyberpunk and science fiction. Um, and it's, you know, something original. It, it, it's crazy, the scale of it. it. It feels like I'm making a feature film, although it's a short film proof of concept. 
um, and Lucky Devil is coming up. You know, it's uh, it's my homage to 80s horror. You know, the whole like I guess a modern Stranger Things nod and uh, an old school Nightmare on Elm Street. So it's something a little different um, because I, I want to connect with audiences, you know, and, and make things that are quite relatable. I think that's that's what I, I love the most. Like my favorite part of um, part of filmmaking really is is storytelling and, and bringing those pictures to life. Awesome. And on that note, guys, we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back with Peter Kavari. Why didn't Harry just shoot Voldemort with a gun? Do all wizards turn into ghosts? How do the owls know where to deliver letters? What actually is magic? And why are all the bad guys in Slytherin? We've checked the books, and the answers aren't there. So if we want to figure it out, we're going to have to do a podcast about it. Podcast Nine and Three Quarters, a show where two sisters, us, delve way too deep into the lore of the Harry Potter series to try and answer all of these unanswered questions. It's a debate series. Half of the time we do real research and half of the time we make dumb jokes and argue about how we think the story should have gone. Like how Harry definitely should have ended up with Hermione. Or have you considered Ron? Oh, Ron and Harry? Okay, okay, I'm listening. And if you want to listen, you can find our new episodes twice a month on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find great podcasts. And we're back, and we're talking with writer, casting director, director Peter Kavari of AFIN here in Australia. And also the head of GP2 Entertainment. So all the things that we're talking about now, guys, if you want to pop onto Facebook and like GP2 Entertainment in Brisbane, Queensland, our favourite place in Australia, um, and you can see all the stuff that Peter is talking about. So, Peter, I, I have some questions for you. <laughs> I think we both do. Sure. Um, <laughs> I love questions. How did you get started in the film industry? What what was the impetus that said, hey, this is what I want to do? Wow. Um, well, it's interesting because I started as a writer. Um, so I've been writing for around 15 years, and I, I began as a novelist. And it's it's funny because like I look at my novels back then and my writing style, I look at it and go, hmm, I remember that. Um, <laughs> because you, you live and you learn and you grow um, but, you know, I'm, I'm still proud of the story, I guess, that I was telling back then. But I wrote it very much, like, with a mindset of film. In fact, when I was writing it, um, my characterization, I'd cast them in line as actors and actresses that I knew. Mm. And I'd let them sort of flesh it out when I was writing those novels. So my, my intention was always to get to um, film somehow. I just had no idea how to do it, quite frankly. Like, I, I, film, film, as you know, it doesn't exactly have a, a massive banner going... So you want to learn how to, you know, go from being a general novelist to being a filmmaker. Well, let us, let us show you the magical way. Mm. Um, there isn't one. So you kind of have to find your own way. And I was looking at, I think, I think it was a, um, a comic book. I was looking at an adaptation, uh, done like a, a uh, audio book adaptation of those novels as well. And then at that time, I got approached by um, then Greg Powell, who I worked with for quite a while. Um, you know, as an introduction to film, and that was my intro. So I started into like concepts um, from those novels, and they got pretty far. Like we actually got to MIPCOM with agents, um, mm. you know, in Cannes. Um, you know, so it was it was it was pretty big, but like in terms of like getting it that far, but it didn't get over the line. It's funny because I remember um, you know they the agents had a meeting with HBO, and HBO said we don't want to touch fantasy because obviously they had Game of Thrones and everything else um, in their in their repertoire um, and others, you know, just looked at the fact that it's such high concept and so expensive to make. 
So that was quite a lesson for me to learn, which is like, you know, it's, it's interesting. If you were to write, I guess, a Ghost in the Shell style screenplay, which I have done, <laughs> um, submitted to festivals going, I can't make that um, because it's just too damn expensive. Mm. You know, you need to, to work out like, what can you make? Well, how can you tell your stories? Um, and just one thing led to another. So I went from writing to producing by necessity. As anyone who's done production knows, it's devil's work. But if you're really good at it, it's a, it's a great skill to have. Um, I'm still learning, but, you know, I, uh, I seem pretty reasonable so far to get the job done. Um, in terms of, you know, casting direction, I, I, I headed heavily into that in terms of the, um, the film space. And then, you know, I was taking on other little roles here and there, but it was really um, after, after Jiva. Um, I came off that one realizing I wanted to direct my own films um, and I wanted to pursue that. And so it's been like, it's been a really odd journey, but uh, here we are. So as we speak right now, you know, I've got a bunch of them under my belt, which are in production or um, in production or in festivals, which you know, I have directed. Um, and yeah, I, I just can't wait to, to get audiences across it. That's what it's all about. There's no point in making films that no one sees. Mm. Very true. Exactly. So how did COVID-19 affect you? Mm. Well, it's affected me like it's affected most people. Um, there certainly were big impacts. I remember three wraps the day, I think one or two days before lockdown. Went to lockdown. Yeah. So it was, um, it was pretty harrowing because, uh, you know, like it's always in the back of your mind. Um, at that time, you know, it was more, I guess, more more scarier at you know, the beginning stages than it is now. We understand it a lot better. Um, but then things got impacted. So my cyberpunk film was meant to be done last year, right? And all of a sudden, we're, we're locked down. We've got locations that, you know, don't want to get back to us. Um, we got massive impacts all across the board. So that was pretty tough to get through. Um, you know, I, I tried to focus on creating, I think I did a couple of videos online to help people, um, I, I kept pushing things across the line, focused on the festival. In fact, we ran the festival in the middle of the pandemic, which was, as some people thought, I was insane. Um, but we like, literally had three sellout events. <laughs> I probably was insane. But I'm like, look, if I can do it now in the middle of a pandemic, I can do it anytime. And I wanted to give people a glimmer of hope to be like, hey, it's not all bad. You know, like we can get through this. You know, it, our industry is, is not going to come to a complete grinding halt. And that was my that was my absolute goal to achieve that, and it was blood, sweat, and tears to achieve that. A big call out to Logan Doves, who worked incredibly hard for me to um, help get things across the line, where you had a lot of venues that just wouldn't just wouldn't do it. It was literally just no. Um, you know, we had uh, New Farm Cinema, who were incredible, so we worked with them. Like everything was COVID safe, planned. We had thermal scanners heading into the red carpet. Um, everyone was seated, or you know, not able to dance, and like. We had, we had a live stream um, all over the world, so that included like the Game of Thrones director Neil Marshall and Charlotte Kirk, um, Hollywood actress. Like they were obviously able to able to watch if they if they like, tune in, they could see it. Um, and we had a lot of them tune in, so it was um, it was pretty cool. You know, they could see they could see the whole thing from where to go. People arriving in the red carpet, you know, turning up on the floor, the bands we had on, the acceptance speeches, and um, they did it all by video. Whoever couldn't be there. Not to say, you know, it's all easy. Um, it was hard. But we had, you know, three sold-out events that we're, we're pretty proud that we pulled off. Um, and, you know, and everyone got a really good experience out of it. They can get in the cinema. I remember when I first walked in there, 
my God, we've been in the cinema in so long, it feels like an alien event. Mm, <laughs> it, was exactly. suddenly, um, it was a bit of a wake-up moment, like, oh, I remember this. The cinemas were great, you know. So and it's, it's a, I had a stark sense of darkness in reality when um, I was at New Farm. I was buying Logan Knight coffee, and this was the first time that switched on the FPOS machine all day. And that was at 1 p.m. Wow. So I really felt for the cinemas and how they're getting through it. Um, you know, I mean, obviously COVID affects everyone, but in terms of our industry, you know, it's definitely a case of if you can't get out there and see more films to support, you know, cinemas, do so. So now I, I know that, uh, for example, Warner Brothers has started releasing their films online as well as um, in theaters where possible. Do you guys think that in the future you might create some sort of streaming network with AFIN? Uh, sorry, um, some sort of like streaming network, like a streaming platform? Yeah, exactly. I've, I've looked into it, and it's something I was really keen to do. In fact, um, there's a few things we're looking at. We're looking at potential theatrical distribution as well. I, you know, people don't know that, but there's conversations that we've had that I need to pursue later this year because, um, you know, as we're growing and everything's happening, I want to be able to do that where possible. In terms of streaming, I have looked into it. There's not a great option out there at the moment for, um, like, AFIN to do streaming. There's there's Vimeo OTT, Mm -hmm. and uh, look, as much as I I, I do say it's great to have Vimeo as a service, they are incredibly unreliable. We had um, a lot of problems with our judges, including myself, being able to stream on video, like constant barbering issues, playback, and I didn't want people to have that experience. Um, so while like recently I, I put a post out there saying, guys, you know, if you can upload to the regular film freeway, please do. Then I looked at the competition. There's not, there's not like if someone can create a, you know, a really great product similar to Vimeo, but, you know, um, but I guess better in terms of uh, reliability and network performance, um, I would flock to it. And I think a lot of people would, mm. where it's a, it's a reasonable pricing structure for subscribers where they're not going to pay too much and they can see the best of the best film. Um, yeah, we really, really want to do that. You so can even contact definitely Stan yes. and maybe get like one of those subject headings. You know how Stan have got uh, each line for um, LBTQ, mm. or the next one is Australian film, the next one is sitcoms, the next one could be AFIN. <laughs> have your own hey, category. I'd be open to it. Um, I've, I've had prior discussions with Stan. Um, they're really great guys to chat to. I know that they, they do want to... Um, you know, it says anything they take on, they want to be able to get global uh, returns on it, which makes perfect sense. Um, and there's a lot of business um, behind streaming, clearly. Um, same as you know, Netflix. I mean, they're, they're pouring a ton of money into originals right now. And, you know, we have a bit of a streaming war going on between Disney, uh, Netflix. You know, you've got new plays in the market as well, like Binge, et cetera. Which you know, I call them new, but you know, Telstra badge, you know, sure, but sure. it is what it is, you know. <laughs> so, um, in terms of, I think the, the landscape's going to change because we are in a world now where you can't rely on theatrical to get returns on a film. Yes. You know, uh, like before COVID, I mean, like who would have thought? If someone came to all of us and said, "Hey, by the way, just letting you know, everyone's going to be in lockdown in about six months' time, and all the cinemas will be struggling, and you know, like people going to be dying everywhere, like." You, know, you, you would laugh at them. You would think they're absolutely insane. Yeah, and think I think it's a no movie plot. That. Bingo. Like, no one saw that coming. Mm. And, you know, in terms of 
a lot of things changed. Like we're not flying as much anymore. Um, you know, we're not, we're not traveling full stop as much anymore. So the tourism industry has taken a massive hit. Mm. Um, in terms of entertainment, you know, like our, our network congestion now is getting hammered because yes. most people are watching things at home. You know, you've got Disney doing straight to home releases. They, in my opinion, charging a bit too much for it. But, <laughs> you know, like it's, 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 a, it's a hard market. Um, you know, event cinemas, they're doing their own on-demand solution now as well. Um, mm. I watched a great film last night. It was a quite a place. Quiet Place Part 2, highly recommend it. And in the beginning, they're, they're promoting their streaming service, you know? So I think it's always going to work in tandem because I can be at home watching a Quiet Place Part 2. I would not have the experience that yeah. I had sitting in the cinema to see it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, we're very open to it. I'm still trying to find the right technology. Right. All right, and on that note, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be back with Peter Covary. Are you a grown-up? Who loves Disney? Are you a grown-up who wants all the facts? Are you a grown-up who spends copious hours arguing with friends and family about the deep intellectual properties of your favourite Disney movie? Do you want to delve deeper into the realms of Disney with us? I'm Stacy, And I'm Georgina. And, and together, together, we're Disney Grown Up. We are the place to get all of the intellectual debate on your favourite Disney movie. Get all of those fun facts and a whole heap of raw reactions to all of those interesting Disney movie moments. You can find us where any good podcast is found or on our website, that's not canonproductions.com. Join us for Disney Grown Up. You know you want to. A that's Not Canon Productions podcast. And we're back with Peter. So, Peter, you and I know each other because I was in Jeeva. It was a really cool experience um, to see how you controlled quite a lot of people on set at any given time. That was the largest cast you've ever done, is that correct? I think it probably was back then. Um, I I think now, in all craziness, um, Quantum Ride, my cyberpunk film, might overshadow it um, in terms of the difficulty and complexity and size um, in terms of, you know, overall complexity, for sure. Jeeva wow. um, was tough, but yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's hard. <laughs> it's literally why it's taken so long in pre-production and planning, etc. Um, like, we have, like, you know, big bar things. Um, some things have to do through VFX. Like, we literally have a VFX team who are constructing an entire city um, digitally that we're going to be placing, like, the lead actress's motorbike into that 3D model, like... The kind of stuff that's being done right now, for many reasons, um, you know, is is really really difficult. Um, you know, avoiding big crowd scenes for reasons like COVID, etc. Um, you know, where like shit, like I've got an actor on on the street, you know, and you've got to suddenly think about it differently. Mm-hmm. So, but I think you know, pre-pandemic, a hundred percent. You know that that was the biggest production I've been on, but of course I didn't direct that film, so it was a it was interesting watching it, you know, learning um, as to what was going on, and then applying, you know, I guess my own style of direction from that point forward. I, I think in the earlier question you asked, like, what it's like to control a lot of people on set. I think the best thing I I can tell you is um, hire the right people in crew to get the job done. It's been the biggest most amazing learning things for me. Like I've, I've got an incredible core team that keep moving across the projects with me. I wish I could take them all um, that I've ever worked with. Um, you know, but I'm pretty loyal to my people. And, you know, generally speaking, they're, like, they're, they've been 
well and truly above and beyond um, in terms of their uh, their abilities and what they're pulling out for my films and concepts. And I can't possibly appreciate them enough for it. For it. Like, it's just, it's such a team-making effort to be able to make films. You, you can't, like, a, a director is obviously in charge, but, you know, that's why you have a great first AD. Um, he helps run the set for you. It's why you have a great second in a lot of cases as well. It's why you have great heads of department in all different areas, great DOP. Because, you know, you get across all planning and you trust they can do an amazing job and that's how magic happens. It takes a village. Yeah, that's totally. 100%. Where do you see yourself going with GP2 Entertainment um, into the future? Um, it's an interesting one. Um, so, like, obviously, I'm doing a lot of things that are quite connected. So, at the moment, um, you know, we're running Film Lab Academy to help train, like, children, teenagers and adults as well. And there's, it, it's all connected. So, you know, that, that feeds into other things I do. I have amazing educators to teach them. Um, and then, we obviously, we have GP Entertainment that makes films. So, it's, it's part of it. So, I actually combined them. Recently, I made a web series, which, like, was a massive workshop and then um, like an actual casting process and then they literally went immediately on to preparation for set. It was nuts. Um, and we started filming and within like two days we had a web series episode cut, which is currently in post-production. But I think what I, what I want to head into mostly is keeping the build these platforms and finding new, uh, I guess, new pathways in film. Um, ideally, you know, finding a number there's discussions happening, but nothing's concrete at all yet um, around, you know, feature film funding and getting like a new a, a feature film up that's distributable, um, globally sellable, and then you know you've got a you've got a case for something which starts to turn around as a business. You know, Disney um, are famous for for being known for making making money to make movies. They don't make money. They don't make movies to make money. And it's um, it's a different way of thinking for them, but they're at a whole different scale to you know the average mortal. So you know, for me, it's uh, trying to find that because in Australia, it's really hard. Like we are, um, you know, we're really far from Hollywood. We're far from Canada and Europe, and you know, and some of the massive um, like China. You know, they're producing a massive amount of films um, where you know our volume is not there, and we do have a lot of Hollywood films coming here. And it's great. It gives people really good experience when they can get on those sets, if they can get on those sets. You know, there's a lot of work there for extras and tourism, et cetera. But for our own, you know, productions, um, there's not a lot out there to assist us. It's really, really hard. And I think what we're trying to do is find ways that we can pave ahead to hopefully make those connections, hopefully to grow, you know, and find new pathways. Ideally, you know, I mean, as a, as a pie in the sky goal, you know, I'd love to get to the point where I can make all those connections happen and be funding other productions here from GP2 overseeing it, where it's not just, you know, me directing the films and, and writing them and making them. But, you know, I have these, like, you know, specialised teams where we can we can produce. And, like, that's really hard. Like, I don't know if I'll achieve it, but I'll damn well try, you know. In terms of GP2 and what we make, we try and make the concepts that can sell their hate. We can do this stuff. You know, we do have the ability to write really strong concepts and do well. Um, but, you know, you've got to get the right audience members across that. You've got to get the right agencies across that. Um, and that's also tough. So I think, um, you know, we want to try and lead the industry a little bit as much as we can and also learn from others who are leading too. We're not the only ones that are, that are leading the way. There's, there's plenty of others around who are also trying really hard, you know, respect to them. So I think, you know, for me, um, I, I just need to 
help help where I can, you know, um, combine efforts wherever possible. And I think we need to do a lot more of that here. Uh, there's a lot of siloing, um, you know, in the industry in Australia, which is really unfortunate. So I think we need more unity. Mm. Peter, I just want to ask a question that touches on something that you just mentioned briefly. So, yes, there are a lot of big American productions coming into Australia at the moment. Do you see that that could potentially have a negative impact on your business in terms of being able to find crew members and uh, talent? Actually, no. I see it as the opposite. Um, I, I think it's a great thing that they're doing. Like the fact that they can bring those productions over, um, it really, I mean, let's face it, people get paid very well when they go to those projects and they suddenly have the ability to have more time free to do other projects. And I think that's a really big benefit. Mm. Um, you know, I think it does a lot for our economy. There's, it's not all sunshine and roses, obviously. You know, I mean, the amount of money that's spent to bring those productions over, mm. be pretty good if a bit more of that was split for local productions, you well, know, and, we and, and, and building our own industry. We did just hear in the government as of now uh, for this new package for Queensland, $71 million is now being put towards Australian productions filmed here in the Sunshine State. So get on to that, Peter, and get some yeah. money. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is, this, this, okay, see, this is where it gets really interesting because uh, the, the big question for that is that sounds fantastic. Who's in control of that funding? What is the um, objective of that funding to achieve and and how do people apply for it and who's eligible? And I think that, that becomes a very different question all of a sudden, you know, and is it is it based on making films here that do achieve ROI? Is that part of it? Is it around global values? Is it around, you know, equity of outcomes? Is it around, like, like what do they want? And I think that's that's really the big the big question. Whereas, you know, like that, that happens everywhere let's let's be real in terms of government funding that happens everywhere Mm. but you know there's um there's going to be a lot of difficulties in getting hands on that kind of funding whereas it sounds great again like it sounds fantastic you know yeah um i would just love to know like how what are the what are the stipulations around this yeah and i think it's it, it when you have things like that it's really difficult for the smaller players to be able to be involved and you seem to have the same bigger um, I don't know what you said, bigger entities being able to draw from those funds. And so you're still leaving out the smaller guys, for lack of a better word, if that mm. makes sense. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully yeah. not. Hopefully uh, at the uh, end of today's summit and meeting that will, there'll be a lot more because I've heard lots of positive stuff, especially for Brisbane and production and crews happening here, not from, Austra- from America, but from mm. Australia. So keep an yeah. eye on the, the Queensland government website and I think it's the screen Australian screen Queensland because they'll be releasing some really exciting stuff soon Peter it was such a privilege talking to you today I know you're busy and uh, running a school a production company and a film festival so (laughs) we don't want to hold you up yeah look uh, obviously I really appreciate your time as well Um, so thank you so much for inviting me on what sounds like a a really great podcast I, I, I need to you need to start sending me through all your episodes because, uh, you know, I have all this, like, noise and I just need good signal like this. So when you have anything for, you know, any new episodes coming up, please send them through to me. I look forward to uh, to listening in and, you know, seeing the next person that you interview. So, you know, keep doing this because we need more, you know, we need more voice in the industry. We need more unity. And um, I'm just, you know, I'm really happy you guys are putting something like this out there. So thank you so much for your time. And, uh, yeah, you know, hopefully... 
hopefully we'll have another chat down the line and um, we can update each other on where we're all at. Yeah, definitely. Thanks again for calling in and we look forward to attending the next AFIN festival. I can't wait to have you there. Awesome. Thanks Thank so you, much, Peter. guys. Have a great day. Thanks. Bye. That was really cool. That was cool. It was so good that Peter could take a spare moment to have a chat with us. I really appreciate that. Hey. Yeah, yeah. It's it's so, like, I'm continually surprised at the people that we're able to bring on to the podcast and, you know, the, the notoriety that they have and who they are and the fact that they're willing to come and talk to just, you know, two little lovely ladies out in Cooparoo. <laughs> I know. I find that so, so kind. <laughs> I find that so kind. And is, yeah. we do actually have some pretty amazing people combined, you and I. And mm. so this is it was really nice. So, Peter, thank you once again. And, guys, don't forget to check out uh, AFIN, the International Film Festival. There'll be one, of course, this year uh, coming up. And yeah. also check out his Facebook again. We'll put all the links in the show notes. Yes, we will. Now it is time to play our favorite game. <laughs> no, I'm not. There's no. We ha we don't have a theme song. Uh, so as you know, at the end of each episode, Ness and I like to play a game called Open Up, and sometimes we play it with our guests. But today is just the two of us. We can make it. We can make it. Just the two of us. You and I. Okay. All right. Um, what's the question next? We've done that a lot lately. I was doing a song test the other day, and, and Sabi said something, and then we just broke into a song. Yeah. Then 20 minutes later, we were doing something in the kitchen. I turned around and said something, and once again, we broke into a song. We're linked. It, it was amazing. It's like a brain link. We yeah. Had, yeah. Mm. All right, here we go. You ready for your question? Yes. If definitive proof of alien life was discovered, would it change your views on religion? No. What? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's a funny one to me, to me, because little um, secret, I am not religious. So, no, it would not change. I don't even, for me, I don't understand how it would change my views of religion. It's a weird question. It's a very weird question. Um, but I would imagine, well, no, I'm not going to speak for religious people. I would imagine, that, yeah, no, I'm not going to. Are you religious now? I believe in God. Mm -hmm. So, uh. would it... So, same question to you. Would it, if the, would the discovery of alien life forms change your view of religion? And no. why? No. Okay. No, because uh, everyone, every culture, every being, whether you're alien or not, have our own form of belief systems. Mm. Um, and I believe, uh, I believe in fairies. I believe in vampires. I believe in God. <laughs> I believe in you. I believe in me. I believe in miracles. <laughs> you know, um, some people believe in Allah. Some people believe in Greek mythology. Mm. Um, so I'm not going to say that just because proof of life outside of us exists would it change my spiritual beliefs. Yeah, and I don't right. why that, see why that would have any impact whatsoever. I yeah. think it would make them bigger, like enhance. I wonder, I mean, for those people... Because going back to this, okay, sorry, I need to unpack this question. Um, <laughs> because asking that question, I wonder if that, if what they're trying to say is, do religious people believe that God only created Human, man? Humans. Yes, humans. Human. Us humans. Human. And if that's the case, then where are these extra life forms coming from? I'm, I'm assuming oh, that's okay. what this question is. But again, because I'm not religious, so th they're showing my ignorance. I don't really know what, like, mm. is, is that what religious people believe? I don't believe? think so. I, I think the, the universe is large enough for us all to have some form of uh, spiritual belief or deity or whatever mm. we want to mm. 
put a shrine to? I would love to ask that question to someone who is quite devout, just to, number one, just to have an understanding of the thinking, and then, because I've never, I don't know what a weird question. devout like religious people that. believe about extraterrestrial life, or even, oh or yeah. if they even do believe in yeah. extraterrestrial life, you mm -hmm. know? I would like to ask an alien that question. Yes, maybe. <laughs> How do you know you haven't? <laughs> <laughs> I might be an alien. Oh, I no. feel like that was a weird question for us guys. Sorry about that. <laughs> open up, wiggity bang, whatever you are, wiggity bang. Open I mean, up. they've had very some average. very deep questions in there, and that one was, was quite surprising. I was about to say a bad word. Um. That was <laughs> ridiculous. It was redonx. 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 Oh, guys, look, please make sure you check out our Facebook page. We are on Instagram and Twitter. If you have anything you want to talk to us about or even want to drop us a line and promote your own self, mm. we would love to talk to you. Thanks so much for taking the time and downloading and listening to our podcast, Wine and Sympathy. And we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.